0: This is the English Heritage Podcast. Hello, and thanks for joining us for this week's podcast, Into England's Past. I'm Charles Rowe. We're back with new episodes every Thursday, so don't forget to subscribe. And you can also leave us a rating and a review. Today we're in Gloucestershire, in Southwest England, very near the border, with Wales. A point we'll come to in a minute after we get parked. I'm here to explore a section of Offa's Dyke, a vast defensive earthwork built by Offa, King of Mercia, and I'm meeting someone who knows it very well.
1: Hello Charles, I'm uh, Professor Keith Ray from Cardiff University, Professor of Archaeology and uh, Senior Research Fellow. I've uh, written a couple of books on Offers Dyke, and I'm here today to be your guide to one of the most impressive sections of the dyke that you can walk along anywhere.
0: Well thanks for inviting me, it's great to meet you. I'm assuming that where we're standing right now was once part of the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Mercia.
1: So how big was this kingdom? Yeah. Well, the Anglo-Saxons' own name for the Mercians, the people, was the Merc. The Merc means borderers and uh, frontiers people. And it means that they were surrounded on all sides by other people. So every direction was a border. And uh, they covered most of what we think of today as Midland, England. So counties like uh, Nottinghamshire, Leicestershire, Staffordshire, Warwickshire, right down to Bedfordshire and uh, Oxfordshire. All of these Midland counties were all within the Kingdom of Mercia.
0: So even Lincolnshire, Cambridgeshire as well?
1: Lincolnshire was uh, was a small independent kingdom that got absorbed into Mercia. Cambridgeshire was, was absorbed quite early on.
0: Does it go down as far as Gloucestershire as well, where we're, where we're standing?
1: So it included eventually Gloucestershire as well. Also the border counties of Herefordshire and Shropshire. Was Cheshire in there as well? Cheshire was in there and so was Worcestershire. So it's a, it's a huge swathe of Midland, England, all the way from the, the Wash to the Welsh border.
0: When and why was Offa's
1: Dyke built? Offa came to power in 759 in the middle of the 8th century. There is very little documentary evidence about the building of the dike except that nearly a century later, there was a bishop called Asser who wrote a biography of King Alfred of Wessex and he mentions the fact that everybody knew that King Offa, a former king of Mercia, built a huge dike between his country, the Kingdom of Mercia, and the Welsh.
0: We've talked about the counties and how they situate within the Midlands of England. Mm. How big was the dike and where did it stretch to and from? So if people are imagining on a map.
1: Yes. So people will be familiar with the, the estuary of the River Severn and the Bristol Channel and basically the dike stretches all of the way uh, from the Gloucestershire bank opposite Chepstow right the way up through the Welsh Marches and continues on probably to near prestatin
0: so from right at the bottom of gloucestershire near the border with with south wales all the way up to north wales near the modern border with england yeah
1: not far from the estuary of the river mersey that's
0: amazing obviously an enormous undertaking for the local peoples along this stretch but how long was it compared to say hadrian's wall which we covered several times on the
1: podcast so Hadrian's Wall, as a built structure, is around 73 miles long, but it's part of a frontier that stretches another 20 miles or so further. By comparison, Offa's Dyke alone is 160 miles long, and it's uh, covered a much different terrain. So twice as long? Effective- more than twice as long? Effectively more than twice as long.
0: How does it also compare with the modern English-Welsh border? Because... To my mind, it looks as though that Offa's Dyke north-south comes in a little bit compared to the modern border, which is a bit further east.
1: Yes, it depends which parts of which counties you're talking about, of course. In Herefordshire, the dyke in the northern part of the county was some distance eastwards of the modern national boundary, and yet... As soon as you're over the border into Shropshire, there's a whole section of Shropshire, which is in fact west of the dyke.
0: So we've now arrived, Keith, at a signpost, having gone through the gate, off dyke and the Devil's Pulpit. Also, we've got a path that's very much designed it's leading us in a particular way through a wooded area there are stones on either side so it's 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 very sort of so this is decorative
1: yeah well what it's doing is introducing a walking surface above the dike and this is because we are at a place called the devil's pulpit and it attracts a lot of visitors what was happening was that there was very severe erosion of the earthwork itself historic england came in and got contractors to build up the soil over the top put some paving down and then define the edges of the path with these stones but this is not anything to do with the Mercian construction.
0: No it certainly looks nice and it sort of shows us the way doesn't
1: it? It shows us the way south in this instance so we're sort of walking now briefly in the Chepstow direction.
0: Which is uh, just into Wales
1: Um, the stays on the other side of the river so the dike stays on this side of the river all the while and as we walk along here you can see right down the sort of four or five hundred feet at least down to the river so it's an enormous chasm of the Y Valley.
0: Yes I can just see through the trees here and we're almost near their canopy aren't we we're so high up that we can see the the valley just disappearing below quite sort of dramatically.
1: And as we come along here we arrive at the Devil's Pulpit Rock itself which uh, may actually have been left in place deliberately by the Mercians so that it acted as a marker for this particular location because as you see we arrive now and you look down you can see the remains of the medieval Cistercian Abbey at Tinton which is in the care of Cadu because it's on the other side of the river it's on the on the Welsh side of the river.
0: And that river looks pretty impressive and wide and free-flowing as well doesn't it I mean that's an impressive sight.
1: It's also navigable up here the tidal reach runs right the way up this far so when the tide is out the river looks very much smaller so at the moment the tide is in and it's also of course in winter spate.
0: It's a really impressive view and for anyone who's a little bit afraid of heights, perhaps stand a bit further back.
1: <laughs> We're not quite on the edge here no. and we are of course protected by the number of trees. Unfortunately the, the effect of the trees also is to limit what is otherwise a, a magnificent view both down the, the river towards the Severn Estuary and up the river towards Monmouth. We're coming along to one of the most impressive stretches of Offa's Dyke anywhere that you can see anywhere in the country and part of its impressiveness is actually because they scarped back into the natural hillside and then built the bank on top so if you look where we're standing now they've actually deliberately cut this back and you can see the bank right up there uh, beyond so to our right where all these trees
0: are climbing out of the undergrowth that is the dike
1: and it is several meters as you can see above our heads
0: That's a bit of a climb. That's a 45 degree gradient and probably about 20 feet long to sort of scamper up.
1: And I should say, when you mentioned scampering up, that English Heritage are very careful to discourage people from climbing on the monument, because although it is massive, it is quite vulnerable. This stretch is in the care of English Heritage, the charity that looks after public buildings and archaeological sites, for the country. It came into their hands because Tydenham Chase was an area after the First World War where they planted trees so that they didn't have the problems with timber supply that they experienced in the First World War. So it was in the care of the Forestry Commission subsequently and then ultimately they've handed it over to English Heritage to look after. And we should
0: probably say as well that uh, you need to have good walking boots for this particular stretch particularly in this weather as we're recording at the beginning of February uh, there's a lot of leaf fall from the autumn it's quite squidgy underfoot shall we say okay, there are like, also a fair few yeah. rocks well
1: I should also also say that the Offers Dyke Association who helped to promote the long distance path the Offers Dyke path discouraged people from walking certainly in numbers in the the winter because the paths as you say are quite slippy, there's lots of stone that you can easily slip on. So there's a health and safety dimension to it but it's particularly because it causes a lot of erosion in the winter because as you can see it's very soft underfoot.
0: Yes and there are tree roots creeping out underneath your feet as well in between the the mud and stones as well.
1: No shortage of trip hazards.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Out of this stretch that we've just been describing, Mm. what can we look ahead to?
1: What this does is it overlooks the river from above and so acted very much as a surveillance feature, a resource for the the Mercians. We don't know how they patrolled it, but they certainly would have had people on horseback riding along just checking that there were no incursions along the frontier. And the other point about it is, that it is highly visible from the Welsh side. So you could say, well, you didn't need really a fortification of this scale along here because the river is a sufficient barrier between uh, the kingdoms on either side, the Welsh on one side and uh, the kingdom of Mercia on the other side. But what they were really doing is pointing out just how powerful the kingdom was, that it could create such an enormous earthwork and it was visible all the way along before there were trees you could see it all the way along from the other side of the river
0: so it's almost like saying if you think the river is impressive that's natural we've created something that um, solidifies our position and our power
1: it's precisely that charles
0: as we continue our way keith Are there any other organisations apart from English Heritage that look after Offers Dyke?
1: There's one very important voluntary organisation called the Offers Dyke Association which has its headquarters in Knighton and there is a visitor centre there that people can go and see an exhibition about the the dyke. But the Offers Dyke Association don't actually own any other parts of the dyke. It's nearly all in private hands and in some cases people don't even realise that they own part of the dike. But its condition is very variable. So in some places, building works, agricultural operations and so on have either removed it or can damage it. And uh, in other places, there was a recent survey of the whole of the length of the dike and it's found that the biggest problem was what they call benign neglect in as much as just natural erosion to some extent visitor footfall is actually eroding it away through time.
0: Soon we arrive at a part of Offers Dyke where its very deliberate features come more clearly into view.
1: So you can see that's the natural rock sticking out there, you've got the ditch and the counterscarp to our left but up on to the right you can see that there's another 4 or 5 metres of bank built on top of the natural rock.
0: So what you're saying is they've used the natural geology, the slope climbing up. They've then built a sort of little wall.
1: It's almost like they were creating a double wall here. So you can see the scale of the counterscarp bank here is itself enormous. Whether that's partly tumble from uh, the top of the bank, I'm not sure. But the point that they were making was, as you looked at this from the west, it looked like there wasn't just one massive dike. There's actually a double dike coming along and it just reinforced how powerful this looked and how powerful the people who built it were
0: yes because the path that we're walking in at the moment would that have been original because it's sort of like this this little dip before the the slope then goes up to the right so
1: the dip is the ditch that they dug the material for the counterscarp bank that's the bank outside the ditch Mm -hmm. the bank that's way up now to our right, it's about six or seven metres above where we are now. That's actually created from quarries that were dug at the back of it on, on its eastern side.
0: And of course, way back in the 700s, we wouldn't have trees on this bank, I presume. It would have really stood out as a man-made structure.
1: Yeah, it's just incredible the way that they, they must have done this project, engineered it. First of all, they must have had a, like a core of engineers probably mounted who rode up and down and worked out where the course of the dike should go. Then they must have marked it in some way. And then they brought in levies, basically people who were volunteered. They didn't volunteer themselves, but they were brought from all over anglo Saxon-Mercy and probably also in some of the lands that they dominated, like Kent. And they came all the way over here and working with simple wooden iron-tipped shovels, and uh, baskets, they actually hewed this right out of the rock, an immense task. It's
0: it's remarkable how they did it with those tools and do we know how many people were involved and how long it took to build?
1: We don't and it's it's a very difficult uh, thing to try to calculate but for comparison I can uh, mention what archaeologists calculate they did at uh, Hadrian's Wall, just to remind listeners that was Half the length of this, and it's been calculated it took 15,000 men six years to build. So, this being twice as long,
0: 30,000 men and 12 years to build, potentially. Well,
1: we just don't know how long it took them to build. They obviously built it in segments that were allocated to different work groups, from probably from different parts of the country. But to give an idea of the human scale of this, people are familiar with the M5 motorway and the M6 motorway. So imagine starting on the M5 motorway at Exeter and going up towards Birmingham, around Birmingham onto the M6 and right the way up to Stafford that is the length of offers dyke and of course they had earth moving machines and all kinds of things when they constructed those motorways in the 1960s but of course it was a much wider work than Offa's dyke
0: as we continue along the path then keith can you describe how much this structure has changed because for many people walking along you know walking their dogs out with their families perhaps on a nicer day than this they'd think Where's the dike? But you've been describing it to us already. Has it changed much, do you think, over the centuries?
1: Well, it is 1,200 years since it was built, and we have no indication that they rebuilt it and uh, kept it in, in good order. So nature has done its best or worst with this, and it does, as you say, look really overgrown. It is difficult for people to appreciate exactly what they're seeing.
0: Obviously it's a very impressive, even if you thought it was a, just a piece of geology, but it's not obviously, it's man-made. Was this structure used as a defensive wall or somewhere where Offer and his men would launch attacks into Wales going west?
1: Well that's a really good question and uh, as far as we can tell there were actual gateways through it. Now that's partly in order for it to be like a a customs control area on the frontier. So the Welsh farmers were bringing cattle that they'd raised in among the hills and valleys and they're bringing them into Midland England to sell. And one of the functions, if you like, of the dike was to uh, channel that trade. But also it meant that there were points where English armies could go into Wales and uh, go out on, on raiding expeditions and then come back through. So it's actually the English
0: who are raiding the Welsh side as opposed to the Welsh raiding the other side. So is the Welsh aggression a myth?
1: Not exactly a myth. Certainly the people in the Welsh kingdoms to the west were very upset about having this huge dike put in that denied them access to ancestral lands to the east and there were no doubt periods where there was raiding by organized armies rather than on a casual basis looking for cattle to steal
0: we're obviously only walking a very small segment of the uh, Gloucestershire stretch northwards but are there any places along offers dyke where it is stopped by other natural barriers
1: it did hit major rivers like the River Wye mostly it kept to the east of the River Wye it then came up to other significant rivers like the River Severn in the Welshpool area and there they used the river for about 5 miles as a substitute and we can't find any trace of the dike on the eastern side and also at the River Dee it uh, runs up to the River Dee at one point and then a mile or two downstream it picks up its north-south route again. You mentioned the Severn,
0: but in the the north-west of England, is that the same Severn we're talking about near the Bristol Channel?
1: Yes, of course, the River Severn is our our biggest British river that rises in the mountains of Wales near Aberystwyth and flows eastwards. What I was talking about when I was talking about Welshpool was that middle pass of the Severn that flows from west to east and flows onto the plain that ultimately leads to Shrewsbury.
0: We've just happened upon, Keith, a sign. There are a few dotted along the route, but this one's an interesting one. It says, Welcome to Lippitt's Grove Nature Reserve and it looks as though what you've described as the right-hand side of the dike has been cut by quite some distance probably about 20 feet or so and it's almost like we're left with two cross sections left and right.
1: Yeah that's exactly it Charles um, this this is actually a site that was created by accident it wasn't intended and it was a way of taking wood out from Lippets Grove here on the interior on the east side and extracting it out down a track that goes through Passage Grove which is just here now Passage Grove is called Passage Grove because it's the uh, the location of uh, a track that went down time immemorial to the crossing over the river at Tinton but the sections that you can see here are very useful because as you pointed out they cut right the way through and you can see the stonework of the bank and you can see that the bank is very carefully constructed so there's an earth and stone core but the whole thing is capped off in stone so it's clear that right from the beginning it was designed to stand out as a stone built structure.
0: And obviously today it's all covered in fallen twigs and branches and leaves and moss but yes the telltale clues of that stone at the top there are very much visible.
1: And some very nice ferns that relate to the nature reserve of course.
0: So they cut this through in order to cut down trees to drag them down through this gap.
1: That's right and they then replanted them subsequently. But what we're going to do here is we're just going to walk up the back of the bank because this cut is actually by chance made through one of the most impressive sections of the dike that you can see anywhere. And it also reveals, as we, as we just walk through this little bit of undergrowth here, extent the scale of the quarry ditches cut through the stone for the, for the bank.
0: Quite a few prickly things trying to wrap around my legs at the moment.
1: <laughs> and we come onto the back of the bank. So you can see that the original gradual profile this is a sort of very uh, gradual slope at the back of the bank, all still covered with stones, and then you get to the top and you see the profile changes dramatically. Look how steep the front of this bank is and it's only possible to have made it this steep by using stones.
0: Yes and I must say that now that we're on the top of the tallest part of the bank I do feel very superior.
1: (laughs) It certainly gives you an amazing outlook and here at passage grove we've also got a promontory now the logical thing to have done here for the mercians would have been to go right out to the point here of the promontory very prominent location visible a long way downstream on the y a long way upstream but they've deliberately not done that and I, that's always puzzled me instead they've actually created this huge straight section which as you say would have looked very impressive but it leaves open the promontory and the question is what were they doing that was so important out on the promontory
0: and when you say promontory i can sort of see that the land is almost creating a
1: triangle in our mind in our vision exactly that it goes out to a point and then creates as you say a triangular area so they're out doing something at the end on
0: that promontory perhaps surveying or um they've got a so an they're an doing post.
1: yeah they're doing one of two things they're either avoiding something that was extremely important there or they're creating something that was designed to be visually spectacular
0: are there any other similar earthworks from this period in this area or region
1: yes the biggest one is uh, a monument called watts dyke which is parallel which runs parallel but to the east of offers dyke but only north of the river seven and running up towards the estuary of the River Dee.
0: Which one's older? Is Offa's Dyke older?
1: That's a classic question. Some of the dating that we've got suggests that Watts Dyke may have been built in the early ninth century after Offa. But the question really that needs to be asked is why are there two Dykes? Did uh, Offa, or did his successors retreat from the line that they created Offa's Dyke in? And I think there's a clue from a 16th century poem actually called the worthiness of wales where the poet is actually describing the flintshire area and saying that in flintshire there are two dykes parallel with one another and that legend has it that in between the two dykes was a kind of free trade area where neither mercians nor uh, welsh people were excluded and uh yeah a lot of trading went on it certainly suggests that there's a different kind of complexity to the frontier right up in the north than in many places further south the 1970s clearing
0: of that wooded area that we just talked about created those two cross sections within the dike Mm. have there been archaeological excavations in there or on any other section of the dike
1: that was recorded in section just after the damage had been done And there was a deliberate decision made not to reinstate that part of the bank of the dike. But what that proved and what that really demonstrates is what you can still see, and that is what we're talking about with there being an earth core, and then the whole thing is capped off in stone. In fact, in some places, it's clear that they constructed a sort of dry stone wall that was stepped back as you went up, the idea being that it made it look like the wall was stone and they the Mercians knew about Hadrian's wall, so they were possibly trying to emulate it in, in a number of places. It's called Offa's Dyke.
0: Is it actually contemporaneous with him?
1: There has have been suggestions that Offa's Dyke wasn't built by Offa. There have been a number of, of attempts to try to get clear dates from the dyke. Unfortunately it's the nature of of linear earthworks that it's really difficult to find the locations from which you can reliably get a date when something is or when the when the bank is constructed for instance but we are getting there and the results that i've seen so far do tend to suggest that it does fit into the period of the second half of the eighth century
0: and do we know how long it was used for because obviously or only rained for a certain amount of time?
1: Uh, Again, that's a really, really important question. We can only go from the sections, for instance, dug across the ditch of the dike where there aren't any real clear indications of a complete refurbishment of the dike. It doesn't mean that it wasn't in use for a reasonably long time, but there's no indication that it had uh, an important presence, if you like, during the the succeeding 9th century
0: is there a date when offa's dyke stops being used as this defensive structure this border
1: depends how you see it i mean in the 19th and 20th centuries for sure probably carrying on into this century a lot of people in wales see offa's dyke as a defining feature not only of sort of english incursion and control and arrogance but they also see it ironically as one of the key factors that enabled Wales to have and the Welsh to have their own separate identity.
0: Has it been used for anything else um, apart from to separate two groups of people? We're on it doing a podcast obviously so it's got it's got that use but uh, it's a leisure trail as well. Are there any other uses that it's had over the centuries?
1: Well it's been used as parts of the directly as parts of the of the national boundary but as we said earlier not so much as as it has been as far as recreational use the main use has been over the last 50 years continues to be as the defining feature for much of but not all of the national trail the office dyke path
0: speaking of the path we retrace our steps back to the car park where out of the cold and into the professor's car we conclude our conversation by dwelling on what offers dyke means to both Welsh and English history.
1: At a national level, it can be regarded as one of the things that defined Wales, at least in terms of its eastern limit. The Welsh had a very strong identity, still do of course, but the building of the dyke made a real uh, permanent distinction possible between the lands that were of Wales and those that were English. For the English, I think the dike is uh, something that they're aware of, but mostly in relation to the long distance path. So it's not that they're not interested in it, but it just doesn't have the same symbolic value as it does for the Welsh. Going back into the distant past, 1,200 years ago, the 8th into 9th century, It's easy not to think about the rivalry that existed between kings on this side of the channel who were megalomaniacs, and kings on the other side. So there's this famous king who became the first Holy Roman Emperor, Charles the Great, or Charlemagne. And he set up borders all around his empire and started constructing great works. Offa, seeing that, was basically saying yes you can build these things but you can't build such an enormous monument as we can and anything that you can do as continentals we can do better hasn't changed a lot in some ways has it
0: you've been listening to the english heritage podcast next week we'll be back to discuss what happened after the romans left britain
1: So basically the top level of government has gone and the people in the provinces running Sirencester or running Lincoln or York, they just carry on because they are expecting imperial control to be reimposed.
0: Thanks for listening. See you next time.